This is Crypto Radio, powered by MoneyWeb, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Sonia Kernel is the South African equivalent of the Greek oracle when it comes to trends in crypto. She's the founder of Blockchain Academy. She's co-founder of payments company Zago and is a crypto consultant and director of Bitcoin events that organizes all the events around crypto and blockchain in the country. So there's no one better to bring us up to speed on the latest trends in crypto. Sonia, first of all, thanks for coming on. Bitcoin is pushing towards an all-time high. In fact, today it was just going through $19,000. And we all remember what was happening in December 2017 when it hit 20,000. So it's now within shooting distance of that. Is this time different? Is it, uh, are we moving out of the hype cycle with regards to Bitcoin and cryptos? Yes, so Kieran, funny enough, just before you phone, I'm, I've got my chart open here and I'm watching it go to the all-time high, which is fascinating. We've all been sort of waiting for it to go there, but we weren't sort of sure because you don't know if it is going to go there for sure because it's due for a major correction. But yeah, to your question, uh, what's the difference between December 2017 and right now? Um, there is a lot of similarities. So let me just start off by saying there are similarities, but I'm going to just sort of concentrate on the differences, obviously, because they're much uh, more significant right now. So, you know, what we saw in 2017 when the Bitcoin price and some of the other altcoins like XRP and Ethereum went to their all-time highs um, was a lot of FOMO. So for those people who don't know what FOMO is, it's really fear of missing out. You know, you had everyone and your uncle and your aunt wanting to buy Bitcoin at that stage. And right now what we're seeing is a change in that. We're not seeing so much sort of FOMO. We're seeing more institutional investors climbing into cryptocurrencies. Um, and they've been doing that particularly for a couple of weeks now. And obviously it's come to an head. And the last sort of week or two, in, in particularly with Bitcoin, has seen uh, what we would sort of look at as a parabolic move. Um, and we saw that in 2017. But this parabolic move is slightly different because of these institutional investors climbing into crypto right now. So, you know, you've got companies like Grayscale, um, and Grayscale is one of the world's largest crypto hedge funds. And, you know, they've been accumulating a lot of Bitcoin over the last couple of weeks, and their total holdings is around 500,000 Bitcoin. Sure. A tremendous amount of Bitcoin. And, I mean, that equates to something like 10 billion US dollars in their BTC trust. Um, and of course, PayPal's news uh, recently in the last few weeks that they are also allowing their customers now to buy and sell and hold Bitcoin is a significant move in the crypto industry. Um, and, you know, we've got other companies and people on Wall Street even in New York. They are also accumulating a lot of crypto. Um, so Wall Street and, and the bankers, they are also looking at acquiring a lot of crypto. And of course, we've also got Square. Square has been accumulating crypto and allowing their users to, uh, you know, also buy and sell crypto using the cash app that they offer. So um, I really feel that, you know, this period we're seeing a lot of steady hands. We're not seeing, um, you know, everyone and they aren't buying crypto like we did in 2017. Um and, you know, uh, there's a, other reasons for that really is also because the, today's market really feels more mature. You know, it's, it's grown significantly since 2017. It seems more liquid as well, a little bit more restrained. You know, like I said before, the steady hands are here and you're finding the weaker hands are out. You know, you're finding that these companies and institutions are betting on Bitcoin as a safeguard, you know, against inflation. And particularly the turmoils of 2020 with COVID 
and the political climate in the U.S. and, you know, all that uncertainty has definitely caused a renewed interest in buying crypto. So I feel that these investors are here for the long term. They're not here to sort of buy and make a quick profit and get out very quickly. I think they are here for the, for the long term. Right. Um, or what you would yes. call the, the hodlers, right? For people who that's don't it, know, yeah. that's uh, somebody who was drunk one night and he says, I'm holding my Bitcoin <laughs> and he misspelt it and he's a hodler. That's, that's exactly what happened. So I'm a hodler. I'm also a day trader and a hodler, so I do both. Um, and, you know, a lot to be said for hodlers because you could have made tremendous gains if you just had kept your Bitcoin for over the last period of years. You know, I got into crypto in 2013. I saw uh, the rally in 2013. It's, funny enough, the similarities in these parabolic moves is that they seem to happen in December, January. So, you know, you had this 2013 parabolic move from around 400 US dollars at that time to um, over a thousand US dollars by the end of December, beginning of January 2014. That happened again in 2017 and 2018, beginning in the end of the year. Um, and then now you're seeing it again out in November this year and probably towards end of December, this will continue. Um, so there's sort of a pattern to that parabolic move, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, who knows where it's going from here? It certainly doesn't seem to be stopping, as you said when you introduced me shortly. Right now, it's just gone over $19,000 of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and the all-time high of Bitcoin is $19,783. Dollars, yep. so it's seven hundred odd dollars. Could even yeah. get it today, right? We could. People are saying that. You know, who knows though? You know, you really don't know. But it, it feels like it's going that way. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm just interested. Uh, a couple of things that you brought up there. One is that Grayscale is holding on to five hundred thousand Bitcoin, which is about ten billion dollars. It does sort of bring to mind a fear that this eventually, because there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin, that it's, it's going to end up in the hands of these very, very big investors and there's going to be a small pool of Bitcoin for, for the rest of humanity. What do you think of that? Yeah, so that's interesting, you know, because when Bitcoin reached its all-time high, I think the, the Bitcoin in circulation was about 7.5 million in circulation of the 21 million. Now, what we're seeing, you know, now is a million more in circulation. It's around 18.5 million in circulation. Uh, so that's interesting, you know, because it's a scarce commodity. And, you know, the more scarce it becomes and the less there is in circulation, the price should go up. It's it's a basic principle of supply and demand. Um, so, you know, that's what people are saying is that the less there is going to be in the market, the more the price is going to go up. And you're certainly seeing um, a lack of liquidity right now because of PayPal and all these investors buying the crypto as they are being uh, minted or, you know, mined, not minted really, but mined. So it's, you know, you can see this in the media that there's a sort of a scarcity of Bitcoin almost uh, in terms of what people want to buy and what's available, which is very interesting. I was also interested in you saying that you not only are you a hodler or a person who buys and holds Bitcoin, uh, but you're also a trader. How's that been going? And, and uh, are you successful? Look, in a bear market, uh, it's very difficult. And it's been a bear market for the whole of 2019. We had, a you know, really low prices. But in a bull market, people make money, um, even people who don't even always know what they're doing. So certainly when I started training in 2017, I didn't know really all the fundamentals and the technical analysis that I know today. But I made money uh, because it was just going up and up and up. But of course, there are those people that are not 
sort of aware of the big picture of what Bitcoin is and what how the technology works. We just buy in because they want to, you know, greed really. So, you know, I'm not really greedy when it comes to trading. I'm very careful and I take my profits and I don't wait for the all-time high because you never really know when the all-time high is in. So mm. when you've made your, your, you know, you set out your goal and when that goal has been reached, you, you climb out. Um, yeah. What did you make of, uh, I don't know if you saw that re- announcement this week, that Citibank, the chief uh, Forex technical analyst, a guy by the name of Fitzpatrick, he came out with a, a prediction or a forecast that Bitcoin will hit $318,000 in 2021. I was astonished, as were a lot of people. What do you think of that? Yeah, so that's interesting because I'm seeing a lot of those predictions. You know, I don't know if you you know know Mike Novakratz. He's very well known in the community. And He's making predictions of it going up to $60,000 by the end of next year. Um, now, you know, you can make those predictions. Um, I'm not in the know. Maybe they are in the know with, with the whales and what the whales are doing. But I certainly can't make predictions like that. I'm much more conservative. I do think it's on the up. And I think if you're looking at the adoption that it's getting, it definitely seems like it's it's going further up, and especially 2021, I think that's going to be an exceptionally interesting year in terms of what the price is going to be doing. So I do think it's a bull period. You know, we are in a bull run right now, and it could be very well in 2021 it extends into that. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm seeing wild predictions, but, you know, I'm not one of those that makes wild predictions. So. Yeah, it's just interesting okay. that it came from Citibank, which is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. serious bank. And uh, I, th- yes. I think people were falling off their chair that they would say something like this. Given what the banks have been saying about crypto, people like uh, Jamie Dimon from uh, JP Morgan, uh, yes. you know, calling it a, a fraud yeah. just a few years ago. And now yeah. everybody seems to be wanting to be a part of it and commenting on it and sort of at least nibbling on the sidelines. I think, Kieran, we must also be aware that there is a lot of manipulation going on in the market and in the media. So a lot of these crypto exchanges and, and big whales, you know, they own, um, you know, some of the crypto exchanges and they promote media that is sort of trying to manipulate the market. So you need to be careful where you're getting your information from and, um, you know, don't get you carried away with what certain people say. Yeah. You know, I follow a lot of people that I trust on, Trust is a relative concept, but that I've been following for a long time. And, you know, they're pretty accurate in their analysis. So I always go back to techni- technical analysis and, you know, from there it has been working for me. So I don't wildly speculate on where this is going. Okay, let's talk about regulation. You probably saw that the Financial Sector Conduct Authority came out with a draft declaration. It means that all crypto exchanges are now going to be, they're going to have to be licensed by the FSCA. It means that crypto assets are going to be defined as a financial uh, product and in terms of FIs. What do you think? Is this going to be a good thing for the crypto market in South Africa or not? Yeah, so I think it's fantastic, really, because as you mentioned in your intro, um, I'm part of I'm a co-founder at Zago. I'm also a blockchain and crypto specialist at the company. And, you know, we've been waiting for regulation for a long time because it affects how much investment we can get. You know, investors do not want to invest in a company that the regulation is uncertain. Um, you know, and also I think the adoption will increase. People will buy more crypto if they feel that it's a regulated space and that the crypto exchange that they're buying it from is regulated. So, you know, the financial service, uh, sorry, the financial sector conduct authority made that draft uh, declaration last Friday, which is really interesting. So they're starting to move on this, which is very positive. 
And I think that's in response to the growing sort of interest in crypto assets. And obviously, they have to start looking at this in a very serious light. Um, there are problems in the crypto industry, and there is fraud, and there are scams, and they have been in South Africa as well. So, you know, it's time for the consumers to be protected from these scams. But it's also time for the crypto exchanges to be able to work in, a, in an environment that they feel is long-term um, secure. You know, it's, it's Zago, for example, you know, we're operating, but we're always worried, what is the regulators going to do next? Are they going to shut us down? Are they going to remove our bank accounts? You know, First National Bank shut down uh, the crypto exchanges bank accounts because they, uh, they're you know, sort of averse to the risk associated with that. So it's good for the industry players that are there to not do nefarious activities um, such as ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think I look forward to making comment on that draft de declaration. It's it's out for public sort of uh, comment. Um, and, uh, you know, so my general my stance is obviously it's a very positive thing. And it means that we will obviously crypto exchanges and advisors and brokers need to apply uh you know, for to be registered with these authorities. All right. um, and what? so that make consumers feel more comfortable when they're buying crypto from these exchanges too. Right, it's going to give them legitimacy. But is this the end of privacy for crypto owners? You know, this is one of the, the spirit in which Bitcoin and the blockchain was born was that you have financial autonomy and privacy and so on. And now you're having to do all these KYC or know your customer processes when you're on board with uh, the, one of the exchanges. And you've got yeah. these cryptocurrencies like Monero and Dcash, which are built as crypto coins for those seeking absolute privacy. Are we going to see more yeah. of that as we go forward? And people, there's going to be some people who want to get into crypto for the privacy element, right? Right. So, I mean, you know, that was one of the early sort of attractions about Bitcoin, like you mentioned, was that the fact that these um, transactions, let me just correct you on that. They're not completely or not correct. You just mentioned that they are not completely private. Bitcoin in particular is pseudonymous. So, you know, you can see the transaction on, uh, you know, all these transactions that happen on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and some of those transactions and wallet addresses can be traced to an individual, uh, particularly if they were buying that crypto or selling it on a crypto exchange, where the crypto exchange has already fikered the individual. Just explain fikered. Ficket. Okay, so you know, Ficker means basically uploading your ident proof of your identity in terms of your ID document and also your proof of address. Mm -hmm. um, now that is a requirement for all financial institutions and deposit-taking institutions in South Africa and globally. Um, and there is a bit of a pushback from some of the Bitcoin community that you know they they want all their transactions to be private. Um, I don't think if you're going to be using Bitcoin as a global global payment system that that is realistic you know um it's just not possible so you know there's interesting privacy coins like monero for example and their transactions are completely untraceable the identities are obfuscated so you, you you know you really can't trace who did that transaction on that monero blockchain but that is going to come under scrutiny it's already coming under scrutiny with the regulators some countries are even looking at shutting down crypto exchanges that list these privacy coins privacy coins. Mm. So, you know, the adoption of those coins is going to be very limited to a small bunch of people, in my opinion, once again. And, you know, I don't think that is the way for a global payment system to, you know, to have that sort of privacy coin, using that privacy coin for global payments. Didn't we already yes, see yeah. this? Uh, there was a regulator that uh, came out with a statement in the last couple of weeks actually encouraging hackers 
to attack, was it Monero? Yes. And I, I'm not sure if it was one yes. of these fully private uh, crypto coins. I mean, that's a bizarre development, right? Yeah, so that, that's very interesting. I also saw that and I, I'm trying to think now who exactly uh, mentioned that. It could have been the Securities Exchange Commission or Department of Justice, I'm not sure. But they actually invited the community to see if they could um, hack the Monero uh, blockchain. Um, so they're tr- trying to see how far they can go with, you know, finding out if he's, uh, how, how sort of untraceable these, these transactions really are. Um, and that just shows you once again that they're not comfortable with these privacy coins. Right. Okay. So we've just done a story in MoneyWeb about whether blockchain is vulnerable to attacks from quantum computers. Now, for those who don't know, quantum computers, are, these are just fabulously fast computers that uh, they can do things, you know, at, at a fraction of the second, even so, so much faster than the, the supercomputers that you have today. But they're not really commercially available at the moment. It's going to be a tremendous gift to hackers. And the question is, does it make the blockchain, the, the Bitcoin blockchain, vulnerable to attack? What do you think about that? And are there defense mechanisms now that are being built to, you know, are, are we thinking far enough into the future to plan for this kind of eventuality? Yeah, look, I think that's a topic that's been in the community for a long time. Uh, we certainly, you know, as part of the Blockchain Academy, we've had questions since 2016 about that specific point. Um, and I think it's very unlikely that this could ever happen. But, um, you know, it's not impossible. It's not 100% impossible that it can happen. But, you know, the blockchain encryption has really proven itself resistant to all attacks to date, So that, particularly the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, not, you know, the same cannot be said for all the blockchains that are out there, but certainly the Bitcoin blockchain has been resistant to every attack. Um, so, you know, I know that the Bitcoin community and the developers that are working on the Bitcoin uh, source code is constantly uh, implementing improvements, and they've already anticipated these possible attacks by quantum computers. So, you know, they're not unaware of this. Um, And, you know, the Gartner study for blockchain technology on 2020 um, has said that these attacks could be a reality in five to ten years uh, when, you know, quantum computers become commercially available. Um, But I think, as I've said, the blockchain researchers are totally aware of this and they are researching post-quantum blockchain technology, which in essence really means that it's quantum resistance and that the cryptography uh, can resist these types of attacks. Mm. So, you know, it's likely, um, you know, that it's going to be ahead of the hackers. Um, But of course, it's something we need to be aware of and we need to make sure that we keep you know, abreast of this. And like I said, the community is very aware of it. Um, I think the biggest thing really in terms of security is not the quantum hacking. I think it's security hacks of exchanges, for example, where there's pure security on the part of the exchange when they're not holding their crypto in a cold storage, for example, they're keeping it in a hot wallet. That's when the crypto gets hacked. And that's very much part of the third party security flaw. It's not uh, a flaw on the blockchain or the Bitcoin code itself. Yeah, I think just uh, cold storage, of course, is when uh, you're storing your Bitcoin and it's not connected to the internet. And a hot wallet is one that would be connected. So as soon as you're connected to the internet, you're then vulnerable to attacks. But of course, the exchanges have got all these fabulously advanced 
security systems there to protect you against that. And this is when you're signing up with an exchange. You want to really ask and drill down into how secure is your system. Just a couple of quick questions here, Sonia. Um, what are we seeing in terms of the development of payments? I mean, you're a co-founder of Zargo, which is a, a, a crypto payments company that's built on the you know, using XRP. Are we going to be able to buy coffee and croissants with Bitcoin in the very near future? <laughs> yeah, you know... Uh that's been a problem with uh, Bitcoin in particular to date. You know, when Bitcoin started, it was meant to be a peer-to-peer payment platform. Uh, you know, that was set out in the white paper by Satoshi Nagamoto in 2008. Um, and, you know, it hasn't exactly become the go-to crypto to use for payments. And the reason for that is basically twofold. It's become quite expensive to use Bitcoin. And it's also volatile. You know, if you make a payment right now with Bitcoin, it, the price might have changed in a few seconds, you know, because we know Bitcoin can tends to be quite volatile. Um, and also there is another problem really in that it takes quite a while to settle that transaction. So, you know, you could find that it settles in, you know, 15 minutes or so. Um, and a retailer, you know, or a merchant cannot wait 15 minutes for that transaction to settle. So, you know, what we've done at Zargo is we've built a payment platform using Ripple's XRP. And the reason we're using that is because it solves Bitcoin's problem. Firstly, on the scalable side, um, you can, you know, the transactions are super fast and they are super cheap. So typically uh, a Ripple transaction can settle in five seconds. um, And that's very important for these retailers. So, you know, we are working very closely with retailers to in the future, allow people to buy their bread and butter and a croissant at a retailer using cryptocurrency, using their, their Bitcoin wallet, whether it's a, any, any you know, it could be a Lunar, Altcoin Trader, IceCube, X, any wallet can be then used at a point of sale at a retailer using our technology. And we then convert that crypto using the Ripple blockchain into fiat, into the retailer's account, into his bank account. So, okay. you know, um, yeah. All right. So the, yeah. the Blockchain Africa Conference is coming up in March 2021. That's uh, just a few months away. And the title of it is From Hype to Mainstream. I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. Uh, clearly, we can expect to hear some of the more practical uses for cryptos. I think the, the first step in the crypto adoption was was investment, right? People just got on this bandwagon of, you know, make money from investing in Bitcoin. But, of course, there's a whole lot of uses that are coming behind this. You've just talked about payments. Uh, we're going to see a whole lot more of these, right, next year. Yes, so very much. So, you know, when we started our conferences in 2015, it was called the Bitcoin Africa conference. Uh, there was no talk about blockchain technology in 2015. Um, in 2016, we called it the Bitcoin and Blockchain Africa conference because we then saw the financial institutions getting very involved in the blockchain technology. Since then, it's been called the Blockchain Africa conference. So the focus of the event is much more on blockchain technology. And as you said, you know, it's called uh, the theme of the conference is moving from hype to mainstream. Um, last year's event was called Beyond the Hype. And really what why we called it this is because we are really seeing the technology moving through the life cycle. Um, and particularly what I'm referring to there is Gartner's hype cycle of the five stages of um, emerging technologies. And we're seeing it move out of the sort of third stage, which is called the trough of disillusionment. 
and into the slope of enlightenment, which means the beginning of widespread adoption and mainstream institutional and corporate adoption. So, you know, we're looking forward to next year to hear the stories of blockchain technology in production, not just the pilots, you know, experiments that have been done in the past, but actually the use cases that people are using in production. And we're going to be looking at, you know, anything from um, investment in, um, you know, putting your property on the blockchain, blockchain in healthcare, what's being done around that. It's very interesting. Trade finance, once again, cross-border payments and what's happening with that. So there's a lot of use cases and also self-sovereign identity is a very interesting one that we'll be looking at. And there's a lot of these projects in production and companies like Microsoft, SAP, IBM, you know, the big tech giants, Facebook, Square, they've already done these sort of proof of concepts and they've moved into production now. So it's very much in that stage of uh, mainstream adoption that it's going towards. It's not 100% there yet. You know, the fifth stage of Gartner's life cycle is the plateau of productivity, which means that's full-on mainstream adoption. We're definitely not there yet, but that could be by 2025. We could be seeing that type of mainstream adoption happening. Great. We're going to leave it there, Sonia. Thanks very much for coming on. That was Sonia Kernel, who is the founder of Blockchain Academy and also co-founder of crypto payments company Zago. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you so much, Kieran.